This is Cinephile, my favorite podcast. A film destined to be enthusiastically embraced by both old-school web-slinger junkies and fans of the multi-film corporate franchise in which he is currently ensnared. Oliver Jones of Observer, he's talking about Spider-Man, No Way Home, and what a movie it is. Great to have you with us here on Cinephile. Among the new movies we're talking about, it will be Spider-Man, No Way Home, Encounter, a new film with one of my favorite actors, Riz Ahmed, and The Hand of God, Italian film which is currently available on Netflix. Uh, as far as the wildcard is concerned... Me and Cody were fired up for this, but he totally hailed. Like, what a great guy. Yeah. Emmy Award winner. Second time here in Cinefob. I hadn't talked to him in a long time, and he's got so many stories. Genuinely funny. And as far as the old, old movie, mm, didn't have time for any old movies. I'm kind of busy. It's a holiday season. i got to watch the old oh, movies. Oh, do we have a treat, though? Do we, we have a treat? treat? we got a special treat. But <laughs> seriously, tease for the audience how excited. Listen, we have Asghar Fahadi on. I love talking to him. I think he was very smart. It was interesting. And, I, and by the way, my wife, Eamon, great cameo. We're getting lots of tweets. She's very, you know, she's blushing. She's very happy about this. But for you, Chris Cody, when I said Tony oh. Hill, you're like, dude, I love Tony Hill. I think it's like the biggest name that we, I mean, we got, we had Justine Bateman. She's, uh, but Tony Hale, as far as things that I've watched, Tony Hale is as excited as, as I've been for an interview since I've been producing this thing. I was about to say Kevin Costner, but of course that was a cheat because we, <laughs> we, were, we were just repurposing. But by the way, so uh, my wife was obviously, you know, she's very shy. I don't know about your wife, but she's very shy, right? So it's like, yeah. she, she's, but when she's given a little bit of love, it's nice. So it's like, hey, you got to hear yourself. No, 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 I don't want to hear myself. Oh my God, hey, hear myself. But then I'll show her a tweet, someone going, hey, Cool to see Adnan's wife. She's like, oh, that's yeah. so sweet. That's nice. So it's that kind of like dichotomy. So then I'm like, well, listen, you should start listening to the pod. Like, I'll put you on more. And then I thought to myself, like, are you kidding? The stuff that me and Cody talk about working blue. I'm like, hey, you know what? Better not. Just keep not listening to the podcast. We'll keep doing our thing. <laughs> Don't listen to the one titled Working Blue with Adnan Inver. Yeah. That one you're not going to like. Not to your specific taste. The, like, the, you know, the crown, that kind of stuff. We'll have you on again. Like, Chris's wife's yeah. into that stuff, too. Like, we're totally good. Uh, mm -hmm. I got a great text here from Dallin Cuff, who always listens to the pod, and I really appreciate him. He said, I cracked up, to be clear, but walking on the rent dude's grave because he's not good looking. God damn. <laughs> so I wrote back, just, just a horrific heel turn by your favorite Canadian. He said, way off brand, at least when the mic is hot. Wednesday night during the second <laughs> inning, that's standard. <laughs> if, if I may have offended uh, the family of Jonathan Larson for pointing out the fact that in the movie Tick, Tick, Boom, he's not nearly as handsome as Andrew Garfield, my apologies. In retrospect, that may have been a little harsh. Just taking him out. Just yeah. taking him out. Sometimes you say stuff, and you're like, okay, and then you actually seem like, hmm. Yeah. And to be clear, Dallas saying, I laughed out loud, but I'm sure everyone's listening. I'm not that guy. The guy died. Uh, let's get to the movie, shall we? Thank you, as always, for everyone who checks out the podcast. Please go to Apple Podcasts where you can subscribe, rate, and review. Tony Hale's coming up for some movies. Okay, I know. That's Spider-Man, man. Let's go. With genuine, was, was there genuine buzz for this movie? I feel like I haven't <laughs> noticed a weekend where people are like, I'm going to this movie. I, I went and saw it. I'm glad you start with that because guess what the box office was for Spider-Man No Way Home? We are currently in a situation in which all of us are feeling like it's Groundhog Day. I'm like, are you kidding? This stuff's happening again. You and I are rabid sports fans. Yeah. Uh, football is being pushed around. Hockey games postponed. NBA. I'm like, oh, God. everyone's Everything. getting it. Broadway shut I, down. I, I, every single family that I know right now, like, yeah. knows somebody who's got it. Like, yes. you know. My youngest son, Maz, uh, I, I was delayed here before the tape. Teachers paused, and now I'm a close contact. I got a PCR test. I'm going to Canada. I'm like, nobody knows it. So everyone's getting hit here, right? So everyone's feeling this. Wherever you are, 
Spider-Man No Way Home opened at $253 million. That wow. is not, honestly, just a pandemic high blowing out Jungle Cruise or Shang-Chi or whatever the hell it was the last two years. That's the second highest opening ever. Ever. What? Behind only Avengers wow. Infinity War. Everybody wow. knows what we're going through. Like, you know what? I love Spider-Man. I am going. I was astounded when I saw those numbers. It's worth it, I guess, to them. They're like, we got to go. I got to go either way. (laughs) If if I'm going down, Omicron, get me. But I got to see Peter Parker again. With Spider-Man's identity now revealed, Peter asks Doctor Strange for help. When a spell goes wrong, dangerous foes from other worlds start to appear, forcing Peter to discover what it truly means to be Spider-Man. It is a terrific film. I really, really enjoyed it. And what I like most about it is that when you have these sequels, generally the sequel is not as good because the story is no longer original, especially obviously in Spider-Man. We've known the story. We've seen previous Spider-Mans. But what makes it special is that sometimes bigger is better. You know the the expression, well, bigger is always better. In this case, it is. Because it's a real treat to not only see Tom Holland, who's a well-cast Spider-Man and an intriguing young actor. It's not only good to see the melding of special effects and continued CGI and soaring score, but it's also fun to see the entire universe. There's a reason why I think the Avengers Infinity War and Endgame people love so much, because it's not just one superhero. It's not just Hawkeye right now in Disney+. Plus. It's 10 of them together. So in the case of Spider-Man, hey, not only do I get Tom Holland, but holy smokes, there's Tobey Maguire. I remember Tobey Maguire in 2002 in the first Spider-Man with Sam Raimi. Guy still looks the same. Has kind of disappeared off the map as far as an actor, but there he is. And there's Andrew Garfield, currently fantastic and tick, tick, boom. Although I didn't say the guy he plays is a lot uglier than he is. And he's in the film as well. So when you get to see not just one Spider-Man, but three, it's obviously very rewarding for the audience. I'm a big Batman guy, right? I'm a bigger Batman than Spider-Man. But if you said to me, we're going to get a Batman with Clooney, Affleck, Michael Keaton, Will and I'm like, oh my God, this is incredible. Yeah, but how does it make sense? Like, well, I, how is I, there a movie where there's multiple Spider-Man? I mean, without spoil, can no, that's you? That's why. I, no, I don't want to give it away because I without, feel like people okay. know they're in the movie. I mean, you check the credits, you see a trailer, you pretty much figure it out. But I, I will let that to the audience exactly. Why is there more than one Spider-Man? Okay. In this place, but it makes sense to you, like, like it worked. Relatively speaking, I mean. When you- <laughs> When you're in the MCU universe, Chris Cody, you just make everything make sense. You just suspend a little bit of disbelief. But I'll say this, as far as the villains, again, what was my criticism of the latest Bond film? Rami Malek just wasn't a very good villain. Well, here, if you don't like Doc Ock, don't worry, we got lots of other villains here for you. We got Sandman. I'm like, yes, Thomas Aiden Church. We got the Lizard Man. Okay, he's along for the ride. And we got, of course, my favorite, one of my favorite actors, we've had him on the podcast, Willem Dafoe as Green Goblin. Like, this oh, yeah. is a movie with something for everyone. So if you're like me, you like more prestige films, critically acclaimed films, you got a pretty good cast. Benedict Cumberbatch, Willem Dafoe, Marissa Tomei. If you just want the action, we got the action for it. If you are a young millennial, we got Tom Holland and Zendaya. Like, this is literally hitting all the boxes if you were a box office fan. So I think Spider-Man is a real treat. I don't want to spoil any more of it. It's got an ending which hits you a little hard there, a little more poignant than you might expect, but I'm going to give Spider-Man No Way Home three and a half Maple Leafs. I really, really enjoyed it. And you will see it at some point, I hope. I will actually. I'm into the pe- like. If people are buzzing, yeah. I usually check it out. At least I, not, I'm not an opening weekend guy, but I'll get there. Oh, don't worry. The way the theaters were, thankfully, not sold out. Uh, I went to the nearby theater in Ridgewood. $64. Uh, myself, three of my kids, my wife's nephew and niece visiting. So $64 is reasonable. Giant popcorn. Uh, the soda machine is not working. Okay, no problem. They, they, just, they just want slushies. Can I get five slushies? No problem. And I think I'm Superman, so I've got the giant popcorn. I got the five slushies because I can help you. I go, okay, sure. What? So the, the gentleman says, okay, I'll take two. He takes three of the slushies. I have two in a tray. I don't think I'm particularly clumsy. Four <laughs> steps, one of them went down. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm like, oh my god. But kind of, kind of the guy that I am. I pick up the slushie. I go, it's fine. So I go, I don't want to do it because only some of it is on the floor. I feel more bad. He, is, I don't feel more bad. I feel worse. The fact that he has to pick clean up the 
slashing the floor. Yeah. Ask the slash. I'm like, no, oh, dude, three fourths of it is fine. We will, we will have this. He's like, you sure? I'm like, absolutely. Don't make me a new one. I'm like, okay. Wow. And I just need a new straw. If I get a new straw, I'd be happy with that. If there's a little bit less, in, and I can top it off for you, that's fine. Imagine I'll you spill a, a beer. All right, the rest of the beer's fine. We're all good. Uh-huh. So then I'm, we walked I'm, over I'm, after, after that. It was uh, okay. I got through the popcorn in an hour. Again, we've talked about this before. I did have to go for the refill. I'm like, I have to miss a minute of the film here because the kids are going to want their popcorn. Do you ever do the thing where you get three quarters of the way through the popcorn, you put it on the seat next to you? And you're like, I'm not touching it for a little bit. But you always go back. Oh, uh, you, you always go back. You, you nailed the most important of that. You always go back. Like I do, I'm like, like I, dude, you get three-fourths of it. Three-fourths I'm doing like by, by the time the trailers are over. It's 25 minutes of trailers. I've eaten half of them. I'm like, I gotta just, you know, ration this. Yeah, ration you, this. <laughs> I'm not rationing anything. Are you pinching with fingers to the mouth? Are you scooping? Scooping. And it's going like from, yeah. So you're going from like the, 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 the base of your hand into the mouth. Yeah, and, and to be honest, as you, as you vividly described that, in the midst of COVID <laughs> and Omicron, I've got five kids with me here. I'm like, I don't think everyone was washing their hands with soap <laughs> and water. For and is just... Yeah, <laughs> that is a disaster. That, I'm, I'm repulsed by myself. That's six hands right now eating popcorn, just scooping in there, just indeterminately. That, that is a disgusting image. I hope the rest of you all pinch the way that Chris just vividly described I'm a pincher. I'm a pincher, pincher for pincher sure. Pincher is the better way to go. Uh, a couple more reviews for you. Alicia Gilstorff, Tilt Magazine. No Way Home is a deeply profound and profoundly hilarious experience from start to finish. One that words will never quite do justice. And Alcee Renhefo of Entertainment Voice. Out of all the recent Spider-Man movies, this one comes closest to the skillful combination of visuals and heart that made Sam Raimi's Superman, Spider-Man 2 one of the best superhero films ever. Make sure you go check out Spider-Man No Way Home. A couple more reviews here for you. Encounter. Two brothers embark on a journey with their father who is trying to protect them from an alien threat. Michael Pierce is the director. Writers are Joe Barton and Michael Pierce. Normally when films come out around this time like this, you go, okay, they're trying to have it both ways. Meaning, Spider-Man No Way Home is meant to get a ton of money and have a lot of fun. Uh, Another film we're going to talk about, The Hand of God, is an art house picture. It's looking more towards the Oscars and critical acclaim. This one's kind of in the middle. Like, Riz Ahmed's a good actor. He's popular. He's not a major star, but he just came off a film called Sound of Metal, in which he was nominated for Best Actor. He's gaining name recognition. But it's got science fiction, which is normally not a category rewarded by the Oscars, so you're trying to get fans. But at the same time, it's got an artistic sensibility to it. That is to say, I enjoyed it, but I think at times it's, it's, it's kind of a little bit wayward in terms of the execution. That story sounds a little out there. Riz Ahmed was on Kimmel and he goes, listen, I don't want to say too much about the movie. And that's always a trick, right? What is it about? He's like, well, it's yeah. about a father trying to protect his two kids. And after that, chaos ensues. So I'll say a little more than that. Basically, there's, I won't quite say a virus, not like COVID, but People are being turned into aliens and stuff. There's some science fiction elements. So he's trying to save his kids from what appears to be this mutant enterprise taking over the universe. And what I liked about it was it's got the thrills and chills to it and suspense. But more importantly, it's got genuine human emotion. And I think a lot of that goes to what a great actor Riz Ahmed is, his relationship with his children, that whole father-son bonding. And what I was really surprised by was this. Movies like this, you kind of know where it's going, right? He's a good guy trying to save his kids from whatever... Oh, is he actually a bad guy? He's got this weird past. There's this murky issue. How are we going to resolve this? Does he live? Does it, oh, his kids can't die. Does one of the kids die? Is he going to die? Is he going to live? Is he the hero? So I actually thought the ending, which I'll not spoil, was very honest and true to the film. Octavia Spencer's in the film as well. Uh, she is a former nominee for Best Supporting Actress. It's- Encounter from Amy Nicholson. It is very, very close to being fantastic. Jeanette Katsoulis of New York Times, exactly half of a good movie. If Pierce weren't so heavy-handed, writes Robert Daniels of Polygon, they encounter a flaw sci-fi flick with a simple premise could be a great adventure fit for the stars. I'll give it three Maple Leafs, but it is interesting reading some of these reviews. It's more like a two Maple Leaf movie if you read the reviews. It's around 56%. It's currently available for streaming on Apple+. Plus. This sounds like signs to me. 
when you were describing it, mm. I was picturing like a, a, a father protecting his two kids from some scary stuff going on. Yeah, it's not why. a bad call. Just... No, there, there's definitely some science to otherworldly elements to it. And my Shyamalan's brown, or some Ed's brown. Was there definitely... a brother with a bat? Was there a brother <laughs> with a bat? <laughs> no? no brothers with bats being sticking on this one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get Cliff Floyd in the next one. Uh, one more review here for you. The Hand of God. In 1980s Naples, young Fabietto pursues his love for football. As family tragedies strike, shaping his uncertain but promising future as a filmmaker, the writer-director is a man named Paolo Sorrentino, who previously won the Academy Award for the film called The Great Beauty. It was clearly an homage to Federico Fellini when he won the Oscar. He's thanked four people. Martin Scorsese, of course, my favorite director, Federico Fellini. I believe there's one more I can't remember, and Diego Maradona. So this is when The Great Beauty came out a few years ago, he won the Oscar. And now he's made a film, which if you're not a sports fan, The Hand of God is in reference to when Diego Maradona famously punched the ball in the 1986 World Cup. It should not have counted. It was a handball, but it was the hand of God. Chaos ensued, Argentina wins, and all the rest of it. So it's interesting. This is a, a guy, story, semi-autobiographical, but a kid growing up in Italy, you'd think he'd have an Italian star. But no, everyone loved Maradona. Maybe it's like how Michael Jordan transcended the sport. Hey, I'm not from Chicago. I'm not a Bulls fan, but I love Jordan, blah, blah, blah. So I thought it was a very interesting story. I like the fact it's beautifully shot. I mean, anytime you see a movie in Italy, you're like, oh, my God. I went, once this Omicron's over, we got to go to Italy. I mean, it's a, it's a gorgeous <laughs> landscape. It's beautifully shot. Sun-dappled streets, et cetera. It has all the coming-of-age marks you might expect. As one review from Ty Burr, which Chris knows is one of my favorite critics, he said that some of the way that women are depicted could strike some as misogynistic or some strictly as Italian. And that is to say that the guy is like ogling his aunt who shows up just, just completely naked. Like she's just sunbathing. The guy's checking his aunt. I'm like, oh my God. Like in certain films, like, we, we don't do this anymore. Italian film, yeah. like, oh, that's just, that's just Italians being Italians, right? Just naked, sunbathing, walking around, guy checking on his aunt, getting excited. I'm like, okay, that's how it is. Tony Servio, by the way, is one of the actors in the film. He's excellent. He was also in The Great Beauty, has kind of a clownish face. But I'll be honest, as beautiful as it looked and as much as I appreciate the director and his love, of other Italian cinema, I did not find the narrative compelling from start to finish. The problem with coming of age stories, Chris, is you kind of feel like sometimes been there, done that. Guy yeah. falls in love, out of love, loves his father, mother upsets him. Like, where is this actually going? So I don't think it had a strong narrative, but I enjoyed it for the mood it was showing and just the style of the film and the fact that it made me feel like I was going to Italy. I'm going to give the hand of God two Maple Leafs. I hear from Stephanie Zakarik of Time Magazine. The Hand of God is a lovely film, occasionally oddball in the best way and astute in the way it handles tragedy and loss. And Eva Tushnet of Patheos, episodic, not quite Bildungsroman. I can't believe I even said that word. B-I-L-D-U-N-G-S-R-O-M-A-N. It would be Bildungsroman. <laughs> Amazing. How about your word of the day? That's why Ep I put that one there, just to see no. you try to figure that one episodic, out. <laughs> not quite, <laughs> episodic, not quite Bildungsroman by the guy who did The Great Beauty but lacking that film's mystery and glamour it just kind of feels like a bunch of stuff that happens I can't pronounce the word but Eve Tushnet your review is excellent especially that last stuff feels like a bunch of stuff happens lots of stuff happens here in Cinefine including Tony Hale this guy's a great guest you're going to love him enjoy it Being the Ricardos in theaters now and available on Amazon Prime, a real pleasure to bring in Tony Hale, of course, the Emmy Award winner. Uh, he is playing executive producer and head writer Jess Oppenheimer. We'll talk about not only his new film, but also his great work uh, on Veep and Arrest Development. Tony, the last time I spoke to you was when I was at ESPN, and I, I had a terrible uh, throat infection. I sounded like Harvey Firestein or maybe like Bruce Valanche. So it's good to talk to you again. You sound great. You sound great. <laughs> Jess Oppenheimer. I, I just love the fact you're playing, I guess in today's uh, world, we call it a showrunner. At yeah. the time, as executive producer and head writer. You're playing an authoritative character. He's so different from Gary. He's so different from Buster. I love seeing you play a character. That's how liberating was it to play an executive who's not a sycophant. 
Yeah, who has a spine. That was very, that was very nice. I was getting a little, I was getting a little tired of like the emasculated beaten up, just like you are nothing. And so I, I needed to have something with a little bit of a voice. And this character definitely had that. So that was a, I was a big plus. Yeah, I love just thinking about the way like a showrunner back then would be today. Like, obviously, today David Chase has a lot of juice or Ryan Murphy, whomever. But like back then, I would think it's sacrosanct. Like whatever Jess says, yeah, he this is what's going to happen, right? Or do you, or did you find the research it was different? Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz did have more juice than you might think. No, they definitely, yeah, they definitely. Uh, it was, a, I would say, it was a real partnership. But back then, I mean, now there's so many channels, so many shows. It's just there's so much. Back then, it was like four. Wait up. No three major networks and I love Lucy was the show to the point where I think there, I think there was some statistic, like the, the water shortage was low because nobody was in the kitchen. Nobody was running water. Everybody was watching the show on Monday nights. It was something like 30, some crazy number watching it. And so the stakes were very high and he was under a lot of pressure. Yeah, I think I love the way Aaron structures it. He's got people, you know, who are part of the show talking about the show at the beginning and saying 60 million people used to watch I Love Lucy. Mm. You know, Game of Thrones was this, you know, cataclysmic event, but I believe the finale had like 15 million. That's like one fourth of what I Love Lucy was churning every week. And I get it. You're right. There's a thousand things on now. There's oversaturation, but still 60 million is 60 million. I mean, did you feel a certain sense of responsibility for the show, which was so beloved? Oh, yeah. And it was the reason why the stakes were so high is because at the time, yes, there was like 60 million people watching and at the time lucy was about to be called a communist in the press she um she was having multiple desi was having multiple affairs on her she was carrying the show she was everybody was watching them and then at the same time even though all that was going on they were real pioneers because it was they were the first show to to, to say a woman was pregnant on television just to say it and they and because there was a scene in there where they say, yeah, I th- we're thinking about doing a pregnancy episode. And then they're going like, to be like, well, viewers are going to wonder how you got pregnant. And then it's just like, well, yeah, that's life, man. Like, that's like, it was such a crazy time. And so they were real pioneers in that regard, big time. Yeah, no question about it. And it's just great seeing you with that cast. Obviously, Javier Bardem and Nicole Kidman uh, and Aaron Sorkin. I was thinking about your career. Like, man, you've worked with Mitchell Hurwitz, who I adore, mm, yeah. Armando Iannucci, who's an absolute stud, yeah. and Aaron Sorkin. Like, I mean, just, just tell me a little bit about the writing styles of these three. Oh, there's a lot of improv with Aaron. No, there's no improv with Aaron. Uh, <laughs> so that's different than Armando. Yeah, exactly. Like our, you know, on Veep, we would have rehearsals and we'd have time to play and just to kind of see bits we came up with. And there was a real, not that there was not a huge respect for what's on the page with Armando, but with Aaron, it was like you came in knowing that you did not miss a word. And there was just, but it wasn't in a, it wasn't like in a like a dictatorial way. Like it was not a that way it was just there was a huge honoring of it and he spent a lot of time very much crafting that script and so there was definitely a back and forth of just trying to find the energy but man you stuck to the page there was i was very used to, i mean i'm used to like being hey let's go what, what about this bit what this bit nope none of that <laughs> so what what if you did that on set like you did exactly what was written you go hey can we do like a one for you one for me can i just do one what would he say to that yeah he go here's the here's your car keys and go uh, enjoy the ride. 
<laughs> uh, thankfully, there's no controversy around this, but I saw a little bit of whispers like, hey, Javier Bardem's Spanish. He's playing a Cuban actor. Mm. And, and I get it. Like, a part of me goes, all right, like, hey, it's cool to have a Cuban actor playing a Cuban, but like, Javier Bardem's a great actor. So, like, you shouldn't be limited by who you are. If Tony Hale is not whatever your ethnicity is, all of a sudden you can't play a different character. That's the whole point of acting, right? I'm glad, at least I feel like the movie's being received in a positive way, mm-hmm. and that's not a part of it. Would you agree with that? I would. I mean, also, like, <laughs> To step into these iconic roles, man, that's like actor's fear factor. I mean, that is just, you are stepping into Lucy Arnaz or Lucille Ball, Desi Arnaz. These people, like my character, at least, there was no footage on it. Like I, you, you, I, there was nothing really that the public knew to almost not mimic, but that they had an idea in their head. The stakes that Nicole and Javier were up against, that's a lot of pressure. So I have huge admiration for them stepping into that big time yeah it's an amazing film being the ricardo's in theaters now available on amazon prime i encourage everyone to check it out was nicole in character like i mean the prosthetics was interesting just like it took a little second it was a little disconcerting yeah, yeah. was she staying as lucille like i thought she gave a great performance yeah totally and i think she had to because she you know she has an australian uh, accent and uh, obviously lucy arnaz was more of like a new york dialect so she really stayed and also uh i don't know if you noticed the movie but when she's playing Lucille, her voice is much higher in the show. It's kind of this like screechy kind of, you know, a little bit higher register. And when she's herself, when she's Lucy Arnaz, it goes to a much lower register. So like she really constantly had to stay in that space, you know, just to stay focused. So when my wife and I are watching together, she goes, man, this is a hell of a week. And I'm like, what? She goes, look at all this stuff that happened. I go, well, Aaron Sorkin's taking creative license. This, just, this did not happen like during one exact week. He's cramming into She's like, oh, man, that'd be a hell of a week to pick out of someone's life. I'm like, what? In one week, she's a communist. He's cheating on her. I'm like, no, this is called dramatic license, right? But they like the way he did it, because that's what's so cool about when you see the script, you really, I just, I, this sounds so cheesy, but like the beautiful of cinema and how it can, the flashbacks and how they, he goes into Nicole, Lucy's eyes, and then it goes to the flashback of them on the show and it goes black and white and all that kind of stuff. It's just cinematically beautiful how he kind of constructed the entire thing. Yeah, there's no question. My, my only quibble, this isn't even a quibble, but I just wish I'd seen more of the actual show because it was so cool the way it was rendered. But mm-hmm. I do appreciate that he was taking such an imaginative approach to it. Being the Ricardos, once again, in theaters now available on Amazon Prime. I got four kids, Tony, so I took them all to go see Clifford the Big Red Dog. Yeah. Happy to see Tony Hale as a bad guy. I mean, dude, you're stretching out now, okay? You're playing a villain in this movie. Like, what's what's what do you got against a big red dog? Seriously. I hate dogs. No, I, uh, I, <laughs> again, it was just, I think I might've just finished Veep when I was doing that. And it was just like, it was just fun to play the bad guy. I also love playing that equation because, you know, here's a guy, he's a tech guy. All he cares about is money and he wants to, and that never ends up right. You know, you take, even you take Selena Meyer in Veep. She was an atrocious character. She was the worst, but it never ends up right. You know, and I love playing that equation, like at her funeral on Veep, this is what I love, at her funeral, the only thing that they honored were her outfits. Her wardrobe was on mannequins at the funeral. That's all they honored, because that's all she really, that was the that was the most of her depth. So that's always fun. It's always fun to play evil. Um, let's talk more about Veep since you mentioned it. I was texting my brother, who's a giant Veep fan. Our producer, Chris, is on the call, is a giant Veep fan. He, he sends me the clips I'd forgotten when, when he, <laughs> the funeral, where he'd say, you'd hate the flowers. <laughs> Hate the flowers. <laughs> no, I say no. I say she'll hate. I say you'd hate the flowers. I say she'd hate. Yeah, you hate. 
Yeah, 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 exactly. I probably loved um, him. But I, I read an article. It's fascinating. You said, you know, everyone views Gary as like he's this victim of this horrible, treacherous yeah. act of betrayal. But you thought it was like an act of love, of liberation. Yeah, if you yeah. can explain that a little bit. I did. I think, well, it could have gone two ways. The one I kind of chose was he had spent a lot of time in prison where she never came to visit him. So that was, <laughs> that was rough. He got out. And he, but he also, I think, had that time when he finally realized, oh, she's not coming back. She's not coming for me. I think he had a bit of a wake up of like, wow, all the abuse starts to kind of come into light. And so I think him going back, if he was not going to forgive her, he could not move on. So that was his chance to go and forgive her and then move on with his life. That's kind of how I interpreted it. I think that's a fair interpretation, a smart way to look at it. I also saw some interesting stuff. I think you're 10 inches taller than Julia Louis-Dreyfus, but you tried to like slump a little bit to help the help. <laughs> oh, yeah. If, if Gary could have cut a foot off his body to be below her, he would have done it in a second. <laughs> he hated, hated being taller than her. He hated it. He would just love to constantly be under her, just worshiping her every, every move. There's some like unbelievable clips. I was watching a montage last night in preparation for the interview. Like the one scene where you're trying to put the seatbelt on her, like the like the physical comedy is yeah. insane. Like, also, I, hey, I don't know. I don't know about, how you guys did take after take. It's insane. Talk about boundaries. Like who reaches, who reaches over your boss and tries to buckle her seatbelt and while she's on a phone call, dude. Come on, man. Go to a meeting, dude. Get some boundaries. <laughs> oh, um, was it hard, like, not to crack up? Like, yeah, it I was. mean, take it to take it. Was. it and I, I genuinely don't, even though I think Julia was probably the one that cracked up the most, even though I get the, I get the brunt of, like, the, the blame for cracking up. I did crack up a lot because it's such fun. <laughs> it's such funny stuff. And I was in so, so, such close proximity to her all the time that I could hear the small stuff that nobody else heard, like the grunts. <laughs> and the irritation and all that stuff. And it's like, forget it. I'm not going to, I just, I can't keep that together. I can't. And then also she would never let me speak. Gary could never speak to the point where he called him. She called him a bitchy mime because he never spoke. So I just lived in this weird, nonverbal, crazy space. And I love the fact that they seem to allow you that room to improvise, at least yeah, especially in the read-throughs, right? You're going through the script, okay, add this, add this. They Maybe did. on the day of, right, you're shooting it. But I, I think that's great because you must have felt so close to the character. And totally. Even the I highest compliment to you is Iannucci said, he goes, you know, we had a different interpretation of him. We thought he was like this lick-the-boot sycophant, but Tony has a real warmth about him, which you actually imbued Gary with. It's a compliment to you. That's very nice. And if there was, if there is any kind of um, nonverbal ad-lib, I think that was my way <laughs> Like I couldn't speak, so I just did these. I did weird faces and gestures, and oh, I just it was it was crazy. I saw some of the research that said you're a Bob Newhart fan, which oh, made yeah. me think of uh, on uh, comedians and cars getting coffee. I don't know. It might have been Marty Short was telling Seinfeld a big Bob Newhart fan he was, and he goes, "Think mm. how perfect this joke is." He said. Bob Newhart was addressing the crowd in Texas, and he goes, I don't mean to denigrate all the country and Western fans here, and for all the country and Western fans, denigrate means to put down. Like, like his <laughs> style of comedy is just so subtle. Like, what is it about Bob That's Newhart? That's the that thing, man. That's the thing. There was, it, it wasn't just subtle. There was a tension associated with it. So, because I don't know if you remember, like, the Bob Newhart show and all that stuff, but there were times where he would just stand there, and you could just feel the chaos and tension in his body. And all he did was just stand there and stare at somebody. And he might look to the left or something. And you cracked up because you just knew, oh, my God, that guy is suffering. He is suffering. And it's funny. Oh, it's great. We're talking with Tony Hale right now here on Cinephile. Arrested Development. Uh, again, I was watching old clips again. You know, when Jessica passed away, the, yeah. probably the number one clip they showed was, 
when she's smoking <laughs> and <laughs> you have to jump in and take the cigarette smokes. She's exhaling. Yeah, yeah. Just tell me about that scene, please. Well, let me tell you right, right now, if there's ever a picture of emotional codependency, <laughs> it is that. Like if anybody wants to know, if anybody thinks they're messed up, just watch that and you'll feel a little better about yourself. Um, it was so just that that was I w- almost there's a part of me that almost wishes that scene was earlier on in the show because it's so defined their relationship that she can go to him. I can't smoke because I'm on house arrest. So I need you to inhale. I need you to inhale my smoke and then exhale on the balcony. And all Buster goes is, OK. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, who does that? So it was just such a definition of just dysfunction. Yeah. On set, did you find, because you, you were working with Jessica so much, mm-hmm. Lucille and Buster have a close relationship, you nurture that. Or is it, hey, it's called acting for a reason. You're kind of doing your own thing. And once you, Mitch says action, you can kind of get into the character. Well, I was I will say when, we, when they brought us back for the fourth season on Netflix, I was very nervous because it had been like seven years or something since we'd done the show. And there was a lot of expectation and Buster, you know, just kind of concerned that you kind of can't get ride that bike again. And when I heard Jessica Walter say Buster, when she goes, Buster, it was like this, it was like this Pavlovian reaction in me. I was just like, I'm back. (laughs) (laughs) I'm guessing the number one thing quoted to you is I'm a monster. Is there something else? I'm a monster. And um, hey, hey, brother is a big one. And then if anybody wants a massage with a hook. Like whenever somebody tries to explain to me, and I'm like, what's wrong with you if you haven't seen Arrested Development? If you haven't, I go, well, there's this guy, he gets his hand cut off and he's a hook and it's, there's this whole thing with Lucille. And I'm like, I, I really can't explain it to I you. Know. And even the, <laughs> even the mastery of, of putting that together, just the fact that my mother's name is Lucille, then I dated a woman named Lucille and then a loose seal bit off my hand. You know, just like that, <laughs> that like Trinity alone is like so great. What was it like working with Liza Minnelli? Did she have oh, any stories? Dude. So many, I mean, not so many stories, but one, she took my wife and I out to lunch and she sang for us in the backseat of my car. She sang the song Liza with a Z. And we, she, she would tell us stories about being raised on the MGM lot and how, that was her childhood. And she was so, here's the thing, when you're dealing with that kind of an icon like Liza, I think it could go two, it could go one of two directions. She could either be really just a, a nightmare or she could be really like she was, incredibly gracious, telling stories. And her stories never came from a place of ego. They came from a place of like, listen to my life, like listen to this life that I've had. And I genuinely could have just sat at her feet and just listened to her stories all day long because she's just the, she was the best. She really was. It's one of the few upsides of the pandemic. And I mean, very, very few. But people like binge watch so many of these shows. Yeah. People, it's okay. I finally have time to watch the rest of the album. I'm going to go watch the show now. And then, of course, they say there's a clamoring for more of it. I'm like, you don't understand. Guys like me who were in from the beginning, when the show won the mm. Emmy for mm. Best Series, I'm like, oh, my God, this is enormous. Like, all right, now the show's going to become a gigantic hit. And then now nobody was still <laughs> watching. And then Fox no. cut it down to 13 episodes. I'm like, what is going on here? And now you want to see the show? Now Netflix can do 20 episodes? Like, that's too late. These guys, are, they got like, 10 other projects now. Basically, was doing Ozark. Our next Batman, for God's sakes. Where were you guys 10 years ago? That is true. Like, no, but at the time, that's why I have a huge respect. I mean, a big respect for Mitch Hurwitz because there was no one had really, well, I can't say that, but it was very rare to see comedy that dense, like filled with that many jokes. Whereas, I mean, my favorite joke is, is Tobias as the blue man group. You know, it's like, 
the fact that he thought that was so he thought that was a support group for depressed men. Like that is that is so good. And also just like in all those scenes where there was like a blue handprint and just these layers and layers and layers of jokes, people hadn't really seen that. It was very kind of just he really did so was doing something different. I knew it was brilliant from the first episode when Bateman's giving his speech to the family and the drums crescendo starts to rise and he's playing with the convention that you're used to watching in the show. And then you cut to shut of you and I said, hey, Buster, you can't do that outside, buddy. Oh, mom says I catch a cold when I play the drums outside. That That's when the show hit. Like, okay, these guys are a different level of lunacy. I'm in. And we, sh- we shot that scene, um, I think it was like in a hotel in Santa Monica and that was an actual penthouse. And I remember I was in New York. I had just gotten engaged. We were about to, we were about to get married, and they brought me out for the callback for Buster. And I was just like, "What?" I had never. I was just doing commercials, and I just never had that opportunity. I went out, and I booked the role. And they said, "We're going to shoot while you're here." And I was like, "What?" And then I remember I ran out of underwear because I wasn't expecting to be there, so I had to go to Old Navy to get underwear. And then I came back. I got. Then 10 days before we got married, the show got picked up. And I told my wife, I was like, I think we're, <laughs> I think we're moving out to LA. And she was like, all right. And it was just this crazy, like, just whirlwind, man. It was great. Do you think we can ever get more Arrested Development, a sixth season? I think it's, you know, first of all, I don't know how you do it without Jessica, because she was just such a, she really was a force, man. Like, I have, I have the, the timing of her jokes was like, just a brilliant science. So that would be, I don't know how we would do it without her. Yeah. I, I interviewed Will Arnett a few months ago and I asked him the same question. I can't do an Arnett impression. The voice is so deep. Oh no, my God. Yeah, Who I can? I sound like a dog <laughs> squeaky toy next to that voice. <laughs> He's like, I don't think we can. I'm like, is it because of Jessica? He's like, I just think some of those jokes, dude, I don't think we can get away with those. Like on young, I, I don't think we can do that. Oh, shit. forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not touching that. <laughs> Tony Hale being the Ricardos it's an excellent new film I'm so glad to see him as Jess Oppenheimer and he was great in Clifford the Big Red Dog much success to the Emmy Award winner thanks so much Tony Thank I appreciate you. it so good to see you again your voice sounds great your voice sounds great alright I'm going to start singing Liza with a Z now <laughs> alright nice seeing you again When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline.
So as always here on the podcast, we have the new, we have the old, and then we have the wild card. For the old, I didn't have a chance to watch any old movies. So instead, we brought an old person. He's one of the great people ever, not only in the Levitard universe, but in sports media. Yes. He is known simply by one word, Poppy. And this is our first time meeting. Poppy! Yes. How are you, sir? Yeah. Nice to see you. Good, good. How about you? How are you doing that now? So one of the first times I heard your voice was, you know, I was unaware of this little pirate ship from Miami. At the time, it was not known as a pirate ship. I'm working at ESPN. And I would just hear these, the liners, as it's used to in the business. This is the Dan Labatard show. And I'm like, what is going on with the Stugats? Yeah. And I didn't really know exactly what was going on. I, you know, you hear five minutes, I'm not really sure what this is. You move around in your life. And then once I actually started watching this and listening to the show, I said, this is amazing. Because now, whenever I'm doing anything, I have your voice in my head. <laughs> and I'm doing college football with Joy Galloway, which is quite important. There's millions of people watching. And he gives a particularly good stat. And in the middle of this conversation on live TV, I said, start of the day, start of the day. <laughs> and he's wondering what the hell I'm doing. But I said, I'm just going to go ahead and do this. Like this, this is like, I don't think you understand your reach extends everywhere. Really? <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, immediately on social media, there's a cavalcade of tweets going, yes, Adnan Burke just said, start of the day, start of the day. <laughs> what was the first time that your son, Dan, included you in all of this craziness? Well, I thought that he was crazy. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> what the hell he wants me to do a show with him? Something is not right here, you know? So that was my, uh, my first thought of the so-called project, because it was a project. <laughs> so were you excited about it? Were you nervous? Were you hesitant? I was, I was very much scared. I said, this thing is not going to fly. And this is reputation on the line. And I'm going to ruin his reputation that he had built for many years. You know, the moment I, I show up on TV doing anything on TV, you know, that's it. They're going to throw his ass out of the studio and that'll be the end of his career. But what'd you do, Poppy? You carried his ass for 10 years. Is that right? Yeah, yeah you did. Okay. Damn right you I'll did. I'll take the credit for it. <laughs> take me back. Dan Lebertard is highly questionable. Like, take me back to the early days. What was it like doing it? And what was the reaction like? I stumbled all over the place. And the producers, they kept picking me up and I kept stumbling. They're picking me up and kept stumbling. Uh, you know, a show that would take, I don't know, maybe 40 minutes to produce would take us an hour and a half or two hours, you know. So yeah. It was difficult at the beginning. It wasn't that easy. So if I'm watching the show and I've, again, first time viewer, I'd be like, okay, I think the understanding here is Dan Levitard is this major media personality. He has other people on who are also major media personalities. And then his father is there for some comic relief. And whenever you're a comic relief role, you're never really sure, are they laughing with you or laughing at you? For example, Stu Gotts is an example. Are they laughing with him or are they laughing at him? Did you ever have a sense like, are people making fun of me? Are they laughing with me? Did you ever think about any of that stuff? Well, I thought that they were making fun of me, really. But I didn't care. I was having fun too. So what the hell, you know? Let's have everybody fun. If they want to make fun, fun of me, I'm going to make fun of you. All the way to the bank, they're making fun of you. Am I right, Poppy? That's right. That's right. <laughs> what was the reaction from friends who are like, Gonzalo, what, what is going on here? Yeah, they, they couldn't believe it. What are you doing on TV? I said, don't ask me. I don't know what I'm doing on TV. Why are you asking me? Well, we saw you. We see you on TV every day. I said, are you sure that this me, the one on TV? Yeah, yeah. I said, okay, fine. I hope you enjoy the show. But now you're a star, and we all know that. And you're here on the Cinephile Podcast, which is one of the latest huge achievements, I'm sure, of your life. I'm excited, but you're even more excited, I'm sure. Let's talk movies. What's your favorite yes. movie? Boy, I got to go back to the 60s. Is that okay? Or, I mean, <laughs> yes. Please, are you kidding? I love old movies. What are we talking about? 60? 
I think that my favorite movie was a, a movie by the name of Nevada Smith. Do you remember that movie by Steve McQueen? I don't. You Steve don't. McQueen, I love. I, I, I love The Great Escape. But which one is this? Nevada Smith. Okay. No, I don't know. Mm. I've never seen okay. it. Okay. So the thing that, uh, that I like the movie and I keep remembering the movie is because the first time I took my wife to a movie date. Yes. And, uh, I need details. Know, that, Give me the details. Kind of, uh, click. You know, so we, we talk about the movie once in a while, but this is a, it's a good movie, yeah. Was this a first date with your wife or was this like a couple dates in? No, no, that was the first. Now, now how do we do like on the first I date? to a movie. Are, are we going arm around? I'm behaving like a gentleman. I, oh, you don't kiss and tell. You know, you know. But uh, then I, I always like a Steve McQueen anyhow, The Great Escape, The Bounty Hunter. I think that's another one. Give me the ideal poppy movie snacks, though. If you are at the movies, are we doing popcorn? Are we doing a soda? Maybe a frozen soda? Like, what, what's your ideal snacks at the movie theater? Oh, that's uh, that has to be popcorn. Yeah, a little extra butter or milk duds. You know, milk duds. Milk duds are my favorite. Are you poppy? We just had a moment. Milk duds are my favorite. Yeah, milk duds is your favorite, right? Yeah, they're, they're, I gotta be careful though. How much of that stuff I eat? Well, that's the sugar, and plus, it can be tough on the teeth. If it's a hard milk, you got to suck on it a little bit and then bite. Yeah, that's right. You got it right. Who's the athlete, entertainer, actor, whomever, the person you were most starstruck that you either got to meet or talk to with your son or through your son? I think that, believe it or not, it has to be uh, Chuck Barkley. Charles Barkley, yes. Chuck Barkley, yeah. That's the one I, I'm really impressed every time I talk to him, even though I always take shots at him, you know? <laughs> But Chuck gives it as good as he gets it, as do you. The great Poppy. Gonzalo. Yes. Before you go, though, can you just give me a little stat of the day? Oh, the stat of the day. day. Oh, yeah. The stat of the day. Day. The stat of the day. Oh, yeah. The stat of the day. Okay. We are. Nailed it. it. Nailed it. Thank you, Poppy. Poppy, you're the best. Okay. Thank you for having me. Take care. Thank you. Thank you, Poppy. Merry Christmas. Thank you very much. Happy holidays. Thank you so much for everyone's support here at Cinephile. I can't thank you all enough. We're going to be taking off next week. Hope everybody enjoys. Have a great Christmas. Happy holiday season. Chris and Ambiel, their family is doing our thing. Uh, Cinephile will return in a couple of weeks. So January 4th will be the week of. Look forward to new episodes. 200 plus as we continue. Chris, it's been a pleasure, man. Hopefully you have a great uh, great vacation. Stay safe, right? I mean, shit. <laughs> Normally the holiday season is a great time to be married with family, watch a bunch of sports. I'm like, mm, you're really not going to be socializing at all. There's not going to be much sports on because, God, this Omicron's killing us. Let's just hope that 2022 will be a better year than 2021. That's all I can say, and I'll see you at the movies. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.